השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, good to be here, ברוך השם, really a very long and I think successful שיעור last night, and then after the שיעור we had another couple hour meeting, couple of people ברוך השם, couple of new people, and לאט לאט, לאט לאט עם ישראל comes and starts learning תורה and starts doing תשובה. Only way to fix our neshamot is by doing tshuva. It's the only way. There's a lot of, you know, inner turmoil that uh, many people suffer. And uh, when they go to the psychiatrist, they go to the psychologist, they go to their friends, they go to the self-help courses and all of those things and um, realize that none of that stuff helps on a permanent basis. Uh, this parasha, parashat b'shalach, is a uh, reminder a reminder for all of those people that are seeking cures in the uh, chapter 15 the last verse of chapter 15 it says Ani Adonai Rofecha. I am God your healer so there is an enormous amount of sickness that Am Yisrael has today and also the Goyim of course um, both spiritually and physically and the tests keep getting bigger. The tests keep getting bigger. Um, but Hashem says there's a solution. I am God your healer. Meaning He's the solution. He's the one that brought the disease. And He's the one that has the cure. Same source. So, Bezot Hashem, the shiur will be refuash lima to Levana bat Sarah, Sarah bat Levana. A... Sarah bat Anat, Rav Ephraim ben Shulamit, Elisheva, Chaya bat Sarah, Yochevet, Ayelet, bat Sarah, Daniel, Kolomi, Baruch ben Rivka, Rivka bat Chana, דוד בן עשריה, דוריס בג'ורה, היסורפ, כיס, סורפ, בן רות, חנה בת מרים, וזאת השם, כל עם ישראל יהיו רפואה שלמה, רפואת הנפש, רפואת הגוף. אז השם, כמו שאמרתי, השם אומר לנו בפרשה, something that we repeat in our tefillah on a day-to-day basis. And the and do what is just in his eyes. Give ear to his commandments and observe all his decrees. Then any of the diseases that I placed in Egypt, I will not bring upon you. For I am Hashem, your healer. So, the Gemara says, is there a, uh, do we know which diseases? How many diseases? It says, Yes. We have this 86 diseases. How do we know those 86 diseases? Rashet Tevot of Amachala is 86. 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, 88, 88, 88. Uh, so the, um, 40, 78, 83, 83, either way, it's not good. Either way, it's not good. So it doesn't include the A. I included the A originally, which is, makes it 88, but then I remember the Gemara says it doesn't say 88, it says 80 less, and then I realized without the A, so it's minus 5, we're down to 83. Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave us Chokmah to be able to figure out things and not make mistakes in public and embarrass ourselves. But nonetheless, the um, important thing to know is that Hashem says that there is a diseases that we know about, and it is diseases that, that he put in Mitzayim, that was part of the punishment. And then there's diseases that we don't know about. There's diseases that we don't know about. And the Gemara in several different places talks about different strange diseases, unusual diseases. And there's actually a Gemara that says that any place that has promiscuity will have a disease where the cells will kill it, will kill themselves. And he goes into a few more details, defines what? AIDS. Defines AIDS. When it was written? 2,500 years ago. So, Hashem is serious. He's not joking. Hashem is serious. Now, many people suffer spiritual suffering. They uh, have a hard time. They're stressed out a lot. They have an enormous amount of anxiety. They uh, don't know which way to go. Go right, go left. What do we do? You ask the guy, what do you want to eat for lunch? Three hours until he decides. They don't even know. I'm sure couldn't go Very, very uncertain, very, uh, a lot of doubts. Hard time sleeping, hard time waking up, always tired, always hungry, different things. Confused, a confused generation. Now, one of the things that the Torah tells us too is that you have to have emunat chachamim. One of the foundations, one of the foundations of the Torah, Shashem instilled into Am Yisrael, is he gave us chachamim. He gave us people that were wise. Meaning people that dedicated their life to Torah. He says those people that are dedicated to Torah, you have to have emunah in them. Not just emunah in Hashem. Emunat chachamim. Amash emunat chachamim. Why? He's my messenger. He's the one that's going to tell you what you didn't learn on your own. If you want to learn your own ashrecha, good for you. Go learn your own. Be a chacham yourself. But if you didn't learn everything, and you're not Rav Kanievsky, and you're not Rav Ovadia, and you're not one of these giants, you have to get one. Now obviously, not every question requires the attention of the Gdolado. You have the Gdolado, which are usually big issues. Then you have your, your own personal rabbi. It says, Make yourself a rabbi in order to eliminate any doubts. But what you notice today is that many doubts 
are created after you make yourself a rabbi. So I have a case right now, someone that's tzaddik, Yereshamayim, and he uh, started this, uh, going to this learning program and different keilah, different this, Oh Hashem, the tshuva, doing good, want to make, upgrade the learning a little bit, and uh, he's at a uh, different place. And he says, I know, I've been here for a few months, thinking I'm going to get better, thinking I'm going to know, learn more, do more, build a Mayirat Shamaim, build a, uh, get to the next level, you know. In essence, this is the way you do it. Even if you go to a uh, regular public school, you go learn for three months. Whatever the subject you're learning, automatically you're supposed to feel like you've gained more knowledge. By default. Even if you don't go to school, you just read a book for three months, you're supposed to gain more knowledge, supposed to, it's supposed to improve. With Torah, even more so. He says, after three months, I don't know what's going on. I'm very confused. It's cre- the, the, the situation that I'm in, instead of improving, is deteriorated. I have doubts. For the first time in a long time, I have doubts. Why? These so-called uh, teachers, rabbis, or whatever you want to call them, they're not doing everything that I've learned. They're going against. So I said, yeah, I have to give me an example. I mean, maybe you don't like the way they talk. I have nothing to do with the way they talk. So maybe you don't like the way they study. Maybe they're not. He goes, no, no. I see one of these guys studying. I've never seen anything like it. When he's studying, he's moving, and he's uh, it's like all theatrics. Everyone knows he's studying. He's moving this, he's moving right, he's, uh, and he's loud and obnoxious a little bit. But everyone knows, you know, next door. Next door, they know, oh, he's studying. Oh, Baruch Hashem, he's studying. Everyone thinks this is the upcoming, uh, coming soon, Baba Sali. It's like this guy's studying. So studying, okay, so, so what's the problem? Facility, what? There's no air conditioner? No, it's a $10 million building. What, they beat you while, you while you're studying? What's wrong with the place? What's wrong with the place? He says, listen, tell me what you think. Now, I know he's telling me the truth. Number one, because there's no reason to lie. Number two, he doesn't realize, he didn't realize how significant what he was saying was. We, didn't, we learned Baruch Hashem together, and we, we never got to this part. So one time I sent them and I told them, listen, you know, you have suits. You have suits. You have to check for shatnez. You have to check for shatnez. Why? Torah in two different places. In the book of Leviticus, book of Deuteronomy, both places say, you're not allowed to wear shatnez. Now shatnez, you have to check everywhere, but the main places they use shatnez is usually in suits. And most commonly, if you ever checked for shatnez, is usually in the collar. Now, some suits by default always have them, like Hugo Boss. For some reason, they always use shatnez. But other suits, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Either way, you're obligated to check for it. So, a couple of years ago, I sent them like, "Listen, I have this guy, nice rabbi, Rabbi Granat, in uh, in uh, Coral Springs, right?" I told him, why don't you go and uh, go to him. Check your chadnez. I've used him before. He's very good. Go. And uh, he goes and he checks. And that's it. No big deal. 
The guy takes the suit for a few days or whatever it is, and then that's it. I don't know what got, you know, obviously this is all Siyat Dishmai. Hashem wants things to happen, so he makes them happen. He said, I had questions all the time. There were certain things that were being said in the shiurs. There were certain things being done in the play. I wasn't sure. But now I'm very confused. And I said, okay, what happened with this? He says, listen, I asked, just for out of the blue, I said, ask the guy, listen, did you check your suit for Shatnez? Who asks that kind of question? It's like, uh, it's like saying, did you go to the bathroom today? Like, what do you, why would you ask me that question? Like, that's, that's not a common question. You can ask the guy, do you eat today? Because maybe you want to have lunch together. Yes, the guy, do you have uh, 10 bucks I can borrow so I can get home? Yes, the guy, what are you doing tonight? Maybe we can learn. I don't know, you ask those kind of, who asks the guy, listen, you check your shot in No one asks such a question. Which obviously means this is Mamash 100% Siyat Dishmaya. This is Hashem putting words in your mouth. Because it makes no sense to ask a question like this. It makes no sense. And the guy says, no. This is the rabbi. He says, what do you mean? What you, you're not worried? He goes, no, we don't, we don't check for those things. Usually certain brands have it. If it's not that brand, it's, we don't check. What? What do you mean we don't check? It's a rabbi, he teaches. It's confused them. He says, then I ask his other, another rabbi, you check for uh, Shatnez? No, no, we don't need to check for Shatnez. We don't need to check it anymore. So hey, confused. Because this is an opposite of what I told him. So I mean, okay, it's either Yaron is wrong, and he's a machmil, he's a, or something's wrong here. What do you mean? So he starts looking at a couple of things. He says, wait a minute. He remembered, or maybe he looked it up, I'm not really sure. He says, listen, actually, if you pray with Shatnez, if you go pray, you go to Shul, or whatever, you pray on your own, pray with Shatnez, Hashem doesn't hear your prayers. It's like praying to a wall. Doesn't hear your prayers. This is what he said to him. He says, nah, that doesn't really matter. Actually, no, a lot of Michalei Shabbat, they pray and Hashem answers them all the time. This just turned, okay, we just went from being a rabbi to Amalek. Why? You, you can't say such things. So he asked me this question. He goes, this is true, is this this? Is that really a big deal? I said, not only is it a big deal, but you're now no longer allowed to learn from such a person. To such an extent, you can't even count them from Inyan. This person that told you whatever you just, whatever you just said, you can't count, if you have, let's say, 10 people, he's one of them from Inyan, you can't count them. You can't be counted from Inyan right now until he does Tshuva, Tshuva Shlema. Why? Why is it such a big deal? In Igmara, in Masechet Brachot, page 19, it says a person that walks around with shatnez knowingly, knows he has shatnez. If it's an accident, it's an accident. Accidents, accidents happen. But you know, he decides, no, no. He has shatnez. I'll fix it later. There's shatnez in his uh, suit. Yeah, I'll fix it, I'll fix it next week when I have time. And I only have this suit. I want to impress the girl. I'm going to shiduch. I want him going to dinner. I'm going to this. Whatever, yeah, whatever excuse he has to go use this thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use it and Hashem could wait. The Gemara says every second he, he puts that suit on is a chilul Hashem. Meaning, it's not a small sin. It's the biggest sin there is. Why is it the biggest sin there is? 
Because this is a proactive decision. This is a decision where anyone that knows that you have shatnez now, and they know that you decide that you're not going to take care of it until later on. In essence, what you're doing is just like the Mechalel Shabbat that drives on Shabbat. Is, the Gemara says it's like him screaming to Hashem, Hashem, I don't believe in you. The guy that walks around with shatnez knowingly is like saying, Hashem, I'm declaring war against you. No, I don't believe in you. I'm declaring war against you. Go to war, me and you. See who wins. Like Nebuchadnezzar said. Now, Shukhan Aruch says, if a person decides that shaving with, he wants to shave, he doesn't want to grow a beard, which you don't have to. It's not a, it's not a chobah. You don't have to grow a beard. Beard is a chasidut. It's an extra. You know, there's a guy that wants to pass and there's a guy that wants to get a perfect grade. Oh, well, both of you can get a good grade. You don't have to. It's not, uh, it's not one of the 613 uh, commandments. But so some people don't want beards. No problem. You don't have to wear a beard. But, you, but shaving has to be shaved in a, you have to shave it a certain way. You cannot destroy the root. So there's kosher shavers. Anyone who doesn't know if their shaver is kosher or not kosher, go to koshershavers.com. Koshershavers.com. They'll tell you what makes a shaver kosher and what makes it not kosher. Uh, even if yours is not kosher, currently there's a way to kosher it. It's usually removing the technology of the, uh, the that lifts your hair and destroys the roots. Makes your face like a baby face, but in essence it destroys the root, which is not allowed. Um, if yours is not kosherable, then you could get a kosher shaver for, I don't know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. It's not the end of the world. But if someone decides, now you know what, this is too much for me, I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like doing it. I know, okay, I know, it says in the Torah, every time you shave with a razor, it's like eating pig blood five times. It's like, you ask a regular, normal Jew, you eat pig? No, come on, what do you think I'm a goy? Come on, what do I look like to you? Okay, maybe I'm not Moshe Rabbeinu, but come on, pig? Same thing I would have said to you before I did tshuva. I didn't keep Shabbat, I didn't keep the Chagim, I didn't keep a lot of things. But he told me, so you want to have a, you know, a uh, baking egg and cheese? Well, am I going to you? Come on, what's wrong with you? You think I want to eat a pig? Most Jews know you can't eat pig. So, sages say, every time you shave with a razor, it's like you eat pig five times. Not once, five. But someone says, you know what, maybe it's the rabbis, they're making it up, they're stringent, they're crazy, they're this, they're that, all these type, types of excuses that I used to use myself. He says, you know what, Whatever, I know you're not really supposed to, but I'm shaving with a razor. I like the way it feels on my face. I like that uh, my face is going to be the same like little Vadya's face. Little baby is two years old, uh, one years old even. I want, I want to be, I want a baby face. I want, I want a little baby face. I don't want the, you know, the shaver, it gives me this, it gives me that, you know, all these red marks and uh, burns and so on and so forth. Someone once went to the... Um, the Chafetz Chaim and told him, uh, I believe it was the Chafetz Chaim, I told him, Kvod Arav, you're the machine that you koshered. It burns my face. Machine that I'm using doesn't burn my face. So uh, I'm going to use it. He says, yeah, but your machine's not kosher. He goes, yeah, yeah, but Kvod Arav, yours burns my face. He says, listen, you're right. Mine burns your face. But it's your face here. The difference is yours, it just burns over there. You just have to decide where you want to get burned. Decide where you want to get burned. Either way, you're going to get burned. Just decide where. So, 
Anyway, so a guy decides to shave with a razor. You think it's not a big deal. It's just a razor. Hashem has to run the whole world. He is not just this earth that we have here with 8 billion people. He has galaxies and he has different planets and, and all types of things happening and he has to make sure that all the meteors doesn't, don't hit us. He has to make sure that the sun rises at the, at the right time and the, the moon is this way and the planet is this way. and all these. There's a lot of stuff to do. He really cares about my razor? No, come on, for the ah, it's a little crazy. Okay, maybe he wants me to keep Shabbat, but Shabbat, Shabbat, okay, he says it. Where did he say in the Torah that I have to shave with a razor? Where? Where does it say? Where does it say? Always ask. Where does it say in the Torah I have to shave with a razor? Where does it say? Mamash, Yaron has to shave with a razor. Where does it say Yaron has to shave with a razor? Maybe it says somebody else has to shave with a razor. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu has to shave with a razor. Where does it say Yaron has to shave with a razor? Where? Doesn't say it. Oh, doesn't say it. Okay, I'm Patu. I'm, uh, don't have to. So the sages say this. A person that shaves with a razor, you cannot count them in a minyan. Why you can't count them in a minyan? Mechalal Shabbat, you can't count a minyan. Someone Mechalal Shabbat. It's obvious, okay. Someone Mechalal Shabbat, Gemara says, it's considered 100% idol worshiper. Five books of Moses in 12 different places says he's motumad, all types of horrible, horrible things. I mean, this is terrible things. This is Mechalal Shabbat. Someone violates Shabbat, drives on Shabbat, even to be Knesset. Since this person is putting his Judaism on suspension, he's announcing to Hashem, I don't believe in you. It's, it's, it's horrible things about Mechalel Shabbat. Okay, that's a Mechalel Shabbat. Fine. A razor though? Why? Because of this. In the book of Proverbs, there's a pasuk that applies to many, many different... Usually, certain pasukim usually apply to one or two things. This specific pasuk applies to many things, day-to-day life. It says, Mesila zno mishmoa Torah, gam tfilato toiva. If one turns aside his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer is considered an abomination. It's considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. What does it mean, Mesila zno mishmoa Torah? What does it mean? Decides he's not going to listen to Torah. Okay, she doesn't want to go to Shir. He wants to watch football. What's the big deal? Okay, so the rabbi says this. He doesn't want to listen. What's the big deal? He says, you don't want to listen to my rabbis? You don't want to listen to my Shir Torah? I don't want to listen to your prayers. When are you going to pray? Oh, you want to pray when what, you, you, broke, you broke something? And you pray for me to stop the pain? I'm not going to listen. You got sick? You need a cure? I'm not a, I'm not a Shem I'm not going to be the God your healer. Well, you got sick. You have a disease, right? Your doctor said you have six weeks to live. Your wife is already uh, telling the kids to start learning Kaddish by heart. Chiva Kaddish is already preparing everything. They already, they're already preparing the coffin, everything. You're praying. You don't want to die. You don't want to die. But you know only a miracle is going to save you. It's either going to be a miracle or you're going to turn into a pack of little potatoes in, in a few weeks, like the doctor said. You don't want to die. You're going to pray to Hashem. Says your prayer, not going to be listened. It's not your day-to-day prayer. Okay, tefillah, shachrit, mincha. Okay, you pray to Hashem. Okay, pray. Pray if you want to pray, pray. No, at the moment of need. When you just wrote a check for the mortgage and you know for sure you don't have money in the bank. You want it to clear though. You want money to appear in the bank. Or else they're going to kick you out and you're going to have foreclosure. You want to afford the lawyer. You want to afford the doctor. You want to afford the yeshiva. 
all the problems we, all the sicknesses we're dealing with. Gam Even your prayer is disgusting to me. You don't want to listen to my. You don't want to listen to my chachamim. I don't want to listen to you. It says that a person that decides to go against the sages on a regular basis is excluding himself from the nation. Why? He's make it. He's made his sin part of his life. He's decided to sin. It's not that you made a sin by accident or you made a sin because of, of desire. You've just decided, I'm just going to continue doing this. I'm not changing. You're not even thinking. You're not second-guessing yourself. You have no intention of doing tshuva. You're not even sorry about it. Now, why is sorry such a big deal? They say that someone that commits murder, Hashem Achem, commits murder, has to get punished, do tshuva. But their genom, their punishment ends at some point. They still have olam If they are righteous everywhere else, they kept Shabbat, they kept, you know, their late tefillin, and they murdered once. They murdered, they got angry or something. There's many stories of people that were very righteous overall, got angry one time, murdered somebody. There's actually a story in Israel from 25, 30 years ago. A guy that was actually a righteous guy. He killed his best friend on Yom Kippur. He killed his best friend on Yom Kippur. The Rav came to his jail after years and said, visit him, how you doing? Da, da, da. He goes, yeah. You're probably asking yourself, why did I kill somebody on Yom Kippur? Because regularly, I was a regular normal guy. Because I'm telling you, I promise you, the Rav, I was a very normal person. Tshuva, Masim Tovim, Gives Daka, I learned, everything was good. I don't know what happened. All I know is we were in Yom Kippur. We prayed. Then there's a break usually of a couple of hours. It's a break. A couple of hours after, you know, Shachrit ends. A couple of hour break before Mincha. It's a very long prayer in Yom Kippur. So me and my friend went to my house. And we're just talking. We're talking nonsense though. Nothing. Stiot. Next thing you know, we're talking about something. I think it was maybe sports. And he gets really, he gets really fired about sports. And I don't know, it just bothered me. So I got into an argument with him. But the argument got so heated that we, he started cursing. I started cursing. I went into the room. I grabbed the gun. I killed him. My best friend for 25 years. I love the guy. But Mamash, when the Torah says somebody gets angry, all types of genom take control of him. It's Mamash true because I saw it. When a moment of anger, I lost it. My best friend, I love him. I'm suffering here every day. Not because of the jail. Because I killed my best friend. So a person has sin here and there. Said that he's a sin. Makes a mistake. Someone made a big mistake. Made a murder. Committed murder. Not that he's some serial killer psychopath. Like this story, got angry or something like that. Torah says he still has olam haba. Still has to suffer, has to pay for the sin, but nonetheless he has olam haba. But amal bin pnechavero berabim, en lochelak olam haba. Someone that embarrasses his friend in public has no share of the world to come. So the chachamim say, why? Okay, David the Melech is the source. David Amelech, it's a reliable source. Great, but why? It says, when you embarrass another person in public, 
you've committed, it's like you committed murder. So now you have a bigger question than I had before. Why? If I committed murder, mamash murder, somebody committed murder, I have a I have to pay for the sin, no questions asked. I have to pay for the sin, but I have a But if I embarrass somebody in public, that's like murder, it's like murder, it's not actual murder, it's like murder, no lamaba. should be the opposite. The murder should be no lamaba. the like murder should be, okay, you got away with it. You got away with murder. No. Says, like murder, you, you embarrass somebody in public, no lamaba. Why? The guy that committed murder, if he's normal and he made a mistake, immediately after the act is over, immediately umitcharet. Immediately he feels bad about it. Immediately he feels bad about it. It's like, I just took somebody's life. He has kids, he has a wife, he has friends, he has mother, he has sister, and so on. People are going to suffer. You're a normal human being. You're not a psychopath. You're going to feel bad. That already is tshuva. That's already, that, that suffering is already a big part of tshuva. But someone that embarrasses another in public, he doesn't feel bad. Why? He thinks he's right. He's like, no, he was wrong. That's why I embarrassed him. He, what is he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why I told him off, to shut him up. He was uh, talking too much. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or he was this, or he was that. The guy that embarrassed the other guy in, in, in public, he rationalizes his sin. Meaning that his whole life, he's never doing tshuva. He never feels bad about embarrassing the other guy in, in public. He says, that's why he loses all around. If he does tshuva, obviously everything is subject to tshuva. If he never does tshuva, never realizes there's the magnitude of his sin, no lababa. Someone can keep Shabbat, keep tefillin, keep everything, but they don't do tshuva for something that seems like it's minute. They can lose the Olam by the second. If people understood how easy it is to lose Olam they'd never think, oh, Alvai, I have Olam You realize you have to do tshuva every day. Since you know, since you don't know. So when a person decides that he's going to shave with a razor, he's decided sin is going to be a permanent part of my life. I'm just not going to listen to the Chachamim. I'm not going to listen to them. Even more so when someone says, I don't need to check Shatnez. Everyone else, Moshe Rabbeinu has to check for Shatnez. Rabbi Akiva has to check for Shatnez. Rav Ovadia has to check for Shatnez. Me, I don't have to check for Shatnez. This is a person who decided to make his sin part of his life. Gam tefilato toeva. You can't listen to him. can't listen to his teaching. You can't count him as part of Minyan. Rabotai, it's a big deal. Now this is not a problem of somebody in the kila. This is a rabbi. Orthodox rabbi. So that's why every day when we say we want to have refuah refuat nefesh, refuat aguf, you have to much mean it. Not just, okay, of course no one wants pain. I know somebody that when he studies Torah, he feels like his body is going on fire. Sometimes, most of the time, he says, Mamash, kaparat abonot. He has this immense amount of pain, but he says, I still have to study. What am I going to do? I know I'm obligated to study. But Hashem wants me to have pain. I'm going to have pain. What am I going to do? He feels, Mamash, he's out on fire. Kaparat abonot. But what can he do? He goes. He continues. He continues. So you have sometimes certain people 
You look at them studying, wow, this guy's tzaddik. This guy, look at the way he's studying, how loud he is and how he moves. It's like a gymnastics while he's studying. He's here, he's there, sometimes he's over here, he's there. Wow. Next thing you know, you learn certain things. Wow, this guy, can't count them to me. Yeah, no. It's confusing. That's when we say, we have to pray for ourselves, pray for the people we love, pray for Am Yisrael every single day. More for refuat nefesh than refuat aguf. Why? Pain eventually goes away. Pain eventually goes away. Why? Eventually the body stops working. You have to go in Olam Ha'emet. Mashiach comes or you're 120 or whatever it is. The body stays here. It doesn't go with you over there. You have to give something for the, for the worms to eat. The body stays here. The neshama continues. But if you have a sick neshama, it stays. You have a problem. You have a permanent problem. If you have a sick neshama, you have a permanent problem. Why? They're going to tell you what to do over there. And it's not going to be a shiur. It's going to be, hey, listen, you should have done this. You should have learned mus. No, there's no more shiurim. Nigmar shiur. There's certain things, no more shiur. You're in tefillah. There's certain things, no more shiur. When you get up there, there's no more shiur. There's no more shiurim. I thought, oh, you have a sick neshama? Come, we'll give you a shiur, a different shiur. Come, we have a special section for shiur. So it's very confusing, Rabbi You see the rabbi, guy looks like a tzaddik, people donate money, he has a bikness of the size of the White House. And then you realize it's just something so small. Now, what's the foundation of all of this? Same thing we talked about last night. Torah without nirat shamayim is samamavit. The Gemara says that you learn Torah, it can be one of two things. Either some chayim or some mamavit. Either going to be, it's a portion of life or portion of death. Same Torah. You use it right, portion of life. How long? Eternally. You learn Torah with Yirat Shamayim, you learn Torah with trepidation, with kavod for the Torah, with emunat chachamim, real chachamim. You investigate who's a chacham and who's a bluff. It's something. You're going to live forever. Body, nobody is irrelevant. You live forever. Anyone that thinks that this world is it must think Hashem is very vicious. The Stipe Lagaon, I saw it today. I saw it today. Stipe Lagaon, Rabbi Yaakov Kanievsky, had Ruach HaKodesh. One of the last few that had Mamash Ruach HaKodesh. Someone comes in to the Bet Midrash, you just have to see him. He's 300 feet away. Immediately he knows who this person is, if he's a Mechalel Shabbat or not. If he's a Mechalel Shabbat, he starts screaming. He's in the middle of studying. He starts screaming, get out, get out, fire, enemy of Hashem, enemy of Hashem. Rocha Kodesh, Rabotai, Rocha Kodesh. Not like uh, us, like we barely know each other's name. Stipe Legaon writes on a commentary in Mesilat Yesharim. He says, anyone thinks that Hashem just put you in this world, just for this world, must think Hashem is vicious. Must think Hashem is like, why? Look at people every day. Everyone, if not themselves, they at least know one person in their life, in their family that's sick, really sick. And then the rest are somewhat sick. One's really sick, Hashem and Hashem, and the rest are somewhat sick. There's pains, there's aches, some spiritual, some physical Everyone is struggling to make parnasa. For the most part, everyone's struggling to make ends meet. 
Even the rich. Why? The rich need to maintain. You know how hard it is to maintain being rich? It's harder than to make the first million in the first place. Making the first million is kaparat avonot. To maintain the millions is even more difficult. Anyone that ever had a million, you have a few million? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It's very hard. You tell give us you. So, Rabotai, the key is, it's very hard. Everybody's struggling for parnasah. And then on top of that, he says, everyone is always second-guessing. What did he say? Maybe I should have said this. Maybe I should have said that. They're always questioning themselves how they should have answered and how they should have responded and how they should have thought, or maybe I should have done this, or maybe I should have done that. When he said this, I should have responded this way. When she said that, I should have said that. They're constantly second-guessing themselves, eating their heart. And they're constantly struggling. They're not sure. They have anxiety and stress and so on. For the most part, life's a struggle. That's the bottom line. For the most part, life is a struggle. Okay, so once in a while you have a good day. Good day. You had the, the food tasted good. You got to work on time. The clients were decent. The uh, wife or the husband is uh, nice to you today. The kids actually were decent. Well, once in a while you have a good day. You have a... But overall, life on a grand scope of things is difficult. There's hardship. There's, there's, uh, there's hills and valleys. For the most part, you ask people, how are you doing? The best answer you're going to get is not bad. The best answer you're going to get is not bad. Not bad means that bad is the fault. And not bad means that it's okay, it's not bad. Just it's not the worst thing. He's not saying it's good. He's saying it's not bad. It's like today, it's like... Baruch Hashem, that it's not a tragedy. Today, there was no tragedy. He's expecting tragedy. That's the mentality of people today. So he says, if you think that God created you to put you in this world, into the struggling life, where everyone's sick, and everyone's struggling, rich or poor, everyone's stressed out, everyone doesn't know what's going on, everyone's confused, you must think God is evil. You have no idea who God is. He only wants to give you good. Here, this is just a test. This is just to earn a living. This is just to get to Allah Ba'ul, where the good over there doesn't end and it's immeasurable. All the good you could ever experience, if you could experience your whole, all of your life's good, you could package it into a little compartment and then you take all 8 billion people in the world today and every generation before you, from 5,778 years ago, all the way to today, all the good they ever had. You could put it into another compartment, you combine the two together. All of that good that everyone has ever had, whether the good is from money, whether the good is from kavod, whether the good is from sex, whether the good is from whatever it is, whatever desires and lusts and things that people think are good, you combine all of that good into a little box, it's not even worth a single hour. In the olam haba of a person that got to the good part. To Ulama Emet. Not an hour. You can't imagine such a good. So if you think this life is, is it, you don't believe in, you believe in the wrong God. So here you have Torah that can be used for some chayim. Torah that you can see, I learned this Torah, I get to all this good. Great! Not only are you excited about the end result, but now all of a sudden you're excited about your day-to-day. Why? 
you realize that this same Torah has instructions of how to even enjoy this life. How the struggle in this life that you're living in right now is no longer a struggle. Why? You know who's in control. Okay, so I'm not going to have money. That's because he doesn't want me to have money. For what? That's his problem. He doesn't want me to have money. Maybe if I had money now, I would do something wrong. Okay, I have a meeting. I got a flat tire in a meeting. Okay, it sounds terrible. I'm going to lose the deal. But maybe there's an accident ahead. And if I would have actually continued driving and didn't have the flat tire, I would have been part of the accident, Hashem. So in reality, Hashem is saving me. And so on and so forth. There's always a reason of why Hashem does something. There's never no reason. He's not a human being, just does things for no reason. So when you have Torah, you have explanations for a lot of different things. You have, you have a way to understand certain things. And even when you don't understand, you know that it's under control. Hashem is running the world. And He knows what He's doing. He's been doing it for a while. On the other hand, if you learn Torah, if you don't learn Torah, obviously, you have a problem. But if you don't learn, if you learn Torah, but your Torah is like a Torah that's missing the ingredient of Yirat Shemayim, missing the ingredient of fearing the Almighty, then that's a Torah that can never get to real emuna, real faith in Hashem. And the reason why is because you cannot believe in something you don't know. So in this week's parasha, we ended the shiur last night this way, where Am Yisrael gets and crosses the Sea of Reeds, and it says, and they see the hand of Hashem, and they fear Him, and they believe in Him and in Moses' servant. So here, Hashem gave us a map of how to get from nothing to full emuna. First, notice the hand of God in your life. You woke up in the morning, Baruch Hashem, say Modeani. Realize that Hashem gave you life. You got to work, say, Baruch Hashem, you have a car to get to work, or you have money for the bus, or the taxi, or, some, or you have a friend that gave you a ride, whatever way you got to work. Even if you got to work with a helicopter, say, thank God, that it didn't crash. You know how people die in these things? People, what, you think uh, poor people die in helicopters? No, rich people die. The guy who doesn't, he's sure for sure he's not going to die. Just happened a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, Unfortunately, a helicopter crashed. A couple of uh, Jewish people died. You think that they got in a helicopter and say, oh, today's my last day? No. So a person needs to understand that every moment you have to realize Hashem is running the world. Baruch Hashem, that I'm still here. Baruch Hashem, I have an opportunity to make another big day, another good day. I can do something productive. Notice the hand of God everywhere. After that, you're going to realize that since you are noticing... He realizes that he really is in control of everything. It's very easy to understand. Once you look for Hashem, it's very easy to see Him. If you're not looking, it's very easy not to see Him. Once you see Him, immediately you have some fear. Why? You realize that everything depends on Him. The air in your lungs is not going to give you life unless He decides that it's going to give you life. The blood in your veins is not going to operate the way it's supposed to unless He decides it's going to operate the way He wants to. And so on and so forth. All of these little intricate things we take for granted, we depend on Him. Who wouldn't be scared? It says, once they were scared, then they believed in Him. Why? You have Yirat Shemaim, you have a good foundation, then you can get to Emunah. You can get to, what does it mean Emunah? Meaning that when I don't have an explanation for why things are happening, I don't have an explanation of why I don't have money. I don't have an explanation of why I don't have a Zivug. I don't have an explanation of why I have uh, whatever, sickness, or why I have this, or why I have different people have different things. 
Some people tell me, listen, I did tshuva, I keep this, I keep this, I keep this, but I can't find a wife. I did this, I did this, I did this, but I can't, uh, I can't get a job. I did this, I did this, I did this, but I can't, I can't get to where I want to be. Why is Hashem doing this to me? The simple answer is this, this, this pasuk. Pasuk is you haven't gone to Emunah yet. You haven't gone to Emunah yet. Why? You're still asking those questions. You're asking, why is God doing this to me? That means you haven't gone to Emunah yet. Because once you have Emunah, you know that even when you don't, something's happening that doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense why somebody that's a very righteous person doesn't have a perfect wife. Or someone that's a very righteous woman doesn't have a perfect husband. It doesn't make sense, logically. But when you realize that Hashem runs the world, and not everything has to necessarily make sense to you today, then you realize, oh, He's under control. That's emuna. Emuna at a difficult time. When everything is dark, you still see light. That's emuna Rabbi It's not just blind faith where, you know, the nice stories of if you jump off a cliff, you know Hashem's going to catch you. Yeah, it's nice theoretically, but who's jumping off a cliff? What, are you crazy? Why are you jumping off cliffs? I want practical emunah. How do I survive the day? The boss just yelled at me. Should I yell back? Should I feel embarrassed? I tell you, there's different tests that I have every single day. Different tests. Hashem sends me, Baruch Hashem, perfect, custom-made tests. I'll tell you a few tests just to start my day. My wife, I make my wife laugh. I make my wife laugh with these tests because she knows I'm trying to do tshuva. So Hashem gives me nice tests. Nice tests. Good. Test the ego. Ego tests are perfect. So I'll tell you how my day went today. There's a couple, there's a couple of people I've been trying to help. I remember I told you a story of... Um, Whatever, it doesn't make it a sort of a difference what the story is. You try to help people. That's what you try to do all day. You learn, you help, you learn, you help. You use the instructions Hashem gave you to help people. One time, one of the Chachamim, a student asked him, Rav, how come every time you help somebody, somebody comes to you for help, tzedakah, something, you give him candy? Why do you give him candy? He asked you for advice, you give him the advice, but then you give him candy. Why you give him candy? Just give him the advice. Let's salah shalom. Go home. Why you give him candy? Why does he give everybody candy? He says, because the natural inclination of a person is that when you help them, eventually they're going to get out of the hole that they're in. And they're going to look back and they're going to want to return the favor. But they're going to realize that they cannot return the favor. They can't return the favor. You saved their life and you don't need them to save your life. So no matter what they do, they're always going to feel in debt to you. And that's going to bother their ego. And because of that disturbance to their ego, instead of giving you good back, they're going to want to hurt you instead. They're going to want to throw a rock at you. So I figured maybe when they get to that point, they want to throw something at me. Hopefully the candy is still in their pocket so it hurts a little less. That's a chacham. You help a lot of people, sometimes they want to throw rocks at you. So there's a few people I tried to help recently. Since I tried to help them, they won't leave me alone with torturing me. Non-stop emails and messages and complaints and this and that and publicizing things on the internet. Shem Achem. 
Trying to help a person. Yes, sometimes the help hurts, but nonetheless it's help. It's not doing it for my kavod or for, for anything. I'm not making money out of this. By the way, the best thing in the world is the people that, that help never donate a dollar. It's the ones that you don't do anything for. They just learn to shoot him, they donate the most. It's unusual, very unusual. Once you help the most, 50 million questions a day, not a penny they give. They think that you get paid from the government or something. Donald Trump gives you a building or something. And they ask for more. Can you send me books? Can you send me, uh, you know, can you give me this? Can you give me this? Can you find me a house? Can you find... No problem, you do it because you work for Hashem. It doesn't matter. But it's just a very unusual thing. The, that, I don't mind that already. I'm used to it. What do I mind? I mind that after finally you finished helping them for, if it ever ends, they decide, oh, you're the enemy. What did I do? I just helped you for a year and a half. Why are you making me the enemy? What did I do to you? That's the way, the, that's the person. So all right, I start off the day with a couple of people torturing me with this thing. A few people that I helped. Okay, Baruch Hashem, this is normal. Every day happens, somebody knew. Baruch Hashem, it's a good start to the day. Baruch Hashem, Odeani Zifanecha, Medechai Vekayam. Say the Baruch Hashem. Means we're doing a good job. Baruch Hashem. So that's the, day, the way the day started. Baruch Hashem. Okay, let's say that. Then after that, that's already... It's... Then after that, I... Uh... I, miss, I forgot one term. Okay, then after that, I get a... Uh... Now everybody knows. I mean, you don't need to be a genius. You know, I'm kind of busy. You have the Irgun, you have Bezat Hashem. You have the movies, you have the lectures, you have the people. You know, oh, I'm very busy. I've always been a busy person. Now I'm even more busy than I was on Wall Street, running three, four f- companies. I'm more busy now. I go to sleep at four o'clock in the morning, and I'm only because I can't stay up, not because I finished work. So for whatever reason, people like to think I'm not busy. So one guy calls me. He goes, "Listen, uh, I have a uh, rabbi." that's giving a lecture in, uh, close to you, about an hour from you. Can you go uh, videotape him? I turned the cameraman now. Someone left everything in the world, left Wall Street, left everything. Now, hey, listen, I have a rabbi, I have a, I have a uh, rabbi, friend of mine, or whatever. I don't know this guy. Some rabbi is giving a big lecture somewhere else. Can you go videotape him for me? Like, I have nothing to do. Nothing. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, what time? What time? I want to make sure I'll be there half hour early. I want to be there half hour early. You know what? I'm going to go buy a, be- a better camera for him. <laughs> Shalom, he has my camera. I'm going to get a better camera for him. That was the second. Third thing is, there was another guy. I helped him. He, whatever, he guy did tshuva many years ago before he met me. And he saw we're doing Kiruv. I already met him a few years ago. Anyway, I... Uh, he told me how, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of keywords, distributing different videos. My videos are Mizrahi's videos or Ephraim's videos, not just my own stuff. I always do other rabbis. Anything that's good, we spread it. And Baruch Hashem, that's how the Irgun was built. Publicizing Torah. And Hashem, because we're, for the sake of Torah, Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave us success with, uh, with getting people to do tshuva. So anyway, so I try to encourage other people to do keywords all the time, as you know. There's one particular guy, I gave him a lot more attention and more help than usual. I told him, Mamash, everything that we're doing, do this, do this, do this, do this, join these groups, publicize this, make movies this way, make movies that way, make a logo, make a Mamash, like I, in essence, you help him build a company. Thinking that when he's spreading Torah, it's good. It's good. What do I care? Well, spread Torah. Logically, you would think, he'd spread mine too. 
Because he's not, he's not teaching. He's just spreading other, other rabbis that he likes. Whether it's this rabbi or that rabbi, whatever it is. So if you're already spreading different rabbi stuff, throw me in the mix. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just an extra share. You just press the share one more time. One more time you press share. That's it, one more time. Now the funny thing is, months I see this, after I helped him, and Baruch Hashem, he's in a relatively short period of time, built a lot of different things, Baruch Hashem, he has followers and this, so much like, uh, it's doing good. He's spreading Torah of at least, uh, maybe a dozen or more different rabbis. And in the beginning I saw, it's only mostly Hebrew speakers. I said, okay, so I don't really have many Hebrew lectures, that's probably why he's not sharing my stuff. Even though I taught him everything, and he should still share it, but he doesn't want to share. He doesn't share. No big deal. Then he started sharing English speakers too. So, so it bothers me every time. I'm like, wait, he's sharing everyone else's. He's doing all the, th- all the. He's using all the tools I gave him. Amash, I gave you tools. In I gave you the hammer. I gave you the screwdriver. I gave you this. I gave you the ladder. Everything using my tools to do work for everyone else, and not even pressing one extra share button for me. Inside the Hashem, what can I do? Kapat avonot. But this is not the story. Every time I see it, it bothers me a little bit. It's like, you know, it's a little tweak to my ego a little bit. But whatever, I don't say anything. I just don't want to share it. Don't want to share it. What can I do? Today, he sends me a uh, poster of some rabbi that's coming. It's like, hey, share this. He tells me, share this. He tells me, go share share something for him. Go share it with my people. To my. These are the tests of Botai. This no, no, no. I show you the text after. It's on my phone. I show you. No, no. Share this. No, like, hey, no, uh, please. No, 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 no. Share this. I'm his employee now. I'm an employee now. I'm an employee. Come on, please. Were you crazy? So, so Hashem sends me these different wonderful tests. These different wonderful tests to help the ego. Help the ego. Help destroy the ego. It's the only way to do true life, to destroy the ego. Sometimes you tell people things and they don't like to hear it because it hurts their ego. Not because they disagree. They agree, it's true what you said. But it hurts their ego. And because of that, they don't want to do tshuva. So it's a very, very difficult part of tshuva, but nonetheless, it's a very necessary part of tshuva. Because someone that has an ego cannot do full tshuva. Why? He's always, it's, oh, that ego is always going to hold him back from Mamash giving in. Giving in. Hashem, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. You're running the world. I'm just here. That's it. That's, 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 that's emunah rabotai. When you have emunah in Hashem, you're saying, Hashem, I don't know why you want me to do this. I don't know why you're doing this to me. But I'm sure you have a reason. You're God. I'm not. Okay, I'm doing it. When you get to that point, you're in the right direction. But as long as you're still asking these big questions, why'd you do this to me? And why'd you do this to me? You're coming to Hashem with complaints, we haven't gone to Emunah. It's not the end of the world. You can still get there, but you're not there yet. The reason why many people can spend their whole life learning Torah, they can learn Gemara, they can learn Shuchan Aruch, they can teach Alachot, and never get to real Emunah, is because it's missing that ingredient. Like I said, first ingredient you have to notice that Hashem is everywhere. Including when you're shaving. Including when you go to the bathroom. Including when you speak to your wife. 
including when you teach your little kids, including when you give change to some customer, including when you walk in the streets, including everywhere, everywhere and anywhere. Shem is everywhere. First notice he's everywhere. If you're noticing everywhere, he's everywhere, it's going to make it much easier for you to be afraid. Afraid of the Creator. It's, not, it's, a, it's a compliment. Reshit Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Praiseworthy is the person that has fear all the time. What's fear? Fear of Hashem. That's what Shlomo Amelach, the wisest man of all time, said this. Not a fool. He said, praiseworthy is the man that's always afraid. Why? You realize that God's running the world. Once you have that fear, then you can get to Emunah. You have many people teaching today, no fear. No fear. Why is this fear such a, such a horrible thing to be missing? It's so, so, it's so extreme. To, because without it, you're never going to get to the emunah. You may have basic level emunah that the average animal has. The average animal knows that it's going to go from point A to point B just by walking straight. You don't need to be a tamid chacham to have that level of emunah. I'm talking about emunah when you don't have money in the bank. I'm talking about emunah when there's a major crisis in the family. I'm talking about emunah when you have no idea what's going on. Why is this and why? Questionable times of your life. You're not going to have emunah during that time. Everything you've learned at that point is some of it. It's, it's, it's a death pill. It's not a life pill. Why? You've learned. You've gone to the test. You're thinking that I've learned to prepare for the test. You got to the test and you failed. Why? There's a missing ingredient. There's a missing ingredient. But it's not the Torah's fault. It's your fault. You didn't learn Yerat Shemayim. So, in this Mishnah in Avot, now that we finished the introduction, it says, Asara nisim na'asu la'avotenu b'mitzrayim v'asara al ayam. Eser makot eviya kadosh baruchu al mitzrayim, b'mitzrayim v'eser al ayam. Ten miracles were performed for our ancestors in Egypt, and ten at the sea. Ten plagues did the Holy One blessed the sea bring upon the Egyptians in Egypt and ten at the sea. So we see here, Rabotai, that this parasha, as Hashem would have it, is connected to this Mishnah as well. He's telling us things that happened during that time. Chazal telling us that there was ten miracles happened to our ancestors in Egypt. And then there was ten more miracles at the sea, and there was plagues on the Egyptians, and then there was plagues at the sea. And it's giving us some details. What is this? What's going on? So the first question, first question is, why did Hashem even perform these miracles? The fact that He performed ten miracles, or a hundred miracles, or a million miracles, great, thank you. Why? Why did you do it? And if you did it, why aren't you doing it now? Many people ask a very interesting but flawed question. Why is it flawed? Because it's an ignorant question. Because if you knew this Mishnah, you wouldn't ask the question. They ask you, why doesn't Hashem just open up the seven heavens, look in, hey guys, I'm right over here. No one's going to be an atheist again. Why doesn't Hashem just make some miracles, like He did in Egypt, like He did in Mount Sinai, Turn the water into blood, make a bunch of frogs turn into dinosaurs, whatever you want to do, just go, no? 
make some miracles, tell everybody, hey, I'm God. And that's it, no more atheism, no more Christianity, no more uh, people believing that the Rebbe is Mashiach, no more uh, people uh, going crazy and making some idol into a, uh, into a God. Nothing, that's it, everyone's a Jew now. Just make a miracle. Sounds like a smart question. Why just do it? Finish. First and foremost, first and foremost, you should know that the whole point of this world is to have free choice. If Hashem removed free choice, there's no point to the world. Meaning, if He made it so simple for you to believe and follow Him, what's the point of you being here? Now before He put the neshama in Adam Arishon, the sages say that there was neshamot in Shemaim. There's neshamot in Shemaim. And they were enjoying the Shekhinah, they were enjoying the, the Hashem and all the things that He was giving them, nurturing them. But then eventually, they started feeling bad. Because they said, listen, all you're doing is giving us. And anyone that has even 1% good in them, that's a normal person, have a little bit of good in them, the more you give them, the more they want to return. That's a normal person. A person that doesn't want to return is an evil person. It's an ungrateful person, and it's an evil person. Because to have gratitude is what makes you human. Even a dog knows how to say thank you. If you save a dog's life, no, I'm serious. If you save a dog's life, save a dog's life. What if some one of these crazy people, you know, they fight dogs. They fight dogs, miskinim, the little dogs, they, uh, you know, their life is on the line every day. They want to fight these dogs. If somebody's a hero and saves one of these dogs, that dog is going to love you for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what you do to him. You can punch him in the face. He's still going to love you. Why you saved him? You saved him. You saved him from the Rishayim. Okay, you got mad. You made a mistake. He's always going to love you. If he doesn't see you, you can see some of these videos. Mama's heartbreaking. Anyone that likes uh, dogs or different uh, animals. You see sometimes these videos people have a guy that went to the army or different places, hasn't seen his dog in five years or six years. You would think the dog forgot about him. The guy shows up, he saw, he sees him from a football field away. He starts running to him like it's Mama's, it's Mashiach. Wow. What did he do? What, 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 what did he do to you? He just gave you a little bit of dog food six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, he gave me dog food six years ago. Yeah, it's a karatatov. Gratitude. So meaning if you don't have a karatatov, you're worse than a dog. The dog's better than you. Maybe you're going to come back and say, you go as a dog, learn how to have gratitude. So, what a person needs to understand is that the plagues we had in Egypt had all of these, there's not just plagues to teach us, oh, Hashem is running the world, but also to teach us measure for measure, also to teach us akaratatov, different midot. So for example, the first plague, when Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to make the water into blood, Moshe says, I don't want to do it. Moshe, righteous, anav, tzaddik, kadosh, Hashem, I don't want to do it. Why? Why don't you want to do it? Because I owe gratitude to the water. Because the water saved me. It made my little uh, basket go from my mom's house to Batya's house. 
I owe it gratitude. The water, something that's not even living. And also, I owe the ground water, uh, gratitude. The ground, I owe the ground gratitude. Why I owe the ground? Because the ground swallowed the Egyptian's body. There was no proof that I murdered him. It protected me, the ground. I don't want to destroy the ground. I don't want to destroy the water. I cannot at of gratitude to things that are still alive, that, that's not even living. Needless to say, to say thank you to Hashem, it give you everything. Meaning, if you don't know how to say thank you, you don't know gratitude, why did you come to the world? So, the first thing is that we have to ask ourselves, why did Hashem make all these miracles? Why did He make all these miracles? Was Am Yisrael especially a grateful nation? The answer is no. They're actually Am Kshe'orif, very stubborn people. That's the way we're being described. In fact, it says that, Zohar Kadosh says that when Am Yisrael reached the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, the Malach Mitzrayim, there's an angel named Mitzrayim who was responsible for Mitzrayim, responsible for Egypt, wanted to drown them in the ocean, wanted to drown them. Each one of these angels has the power to destroy the entire world. And he wanted to drown all of Am Yisrael. He says, I have the right to drown all of them, kill all of them. Why? Why is the case? Hashem, you're going to split the ocean. Okay, fine. And you're going to let them pass. And then you're going to drown the uh, Egyptians. Why? Because Egyptians are of the Avodah They worship idols. But so do the Jews. There's no difference between them. They're both idol worshippers. The Egyptians are idol worshippers. And the, and the Am Yisrael is idol worshippers. Am Yisrael at the time of Yetziat Mitzrayim was at the 49th level of Tumah. The worst level in history until now. To such an extent that Hashem, the Zohar Kadosh says, Hashem had to be the one that makes the last plague. The, uh, the uh, plague of the firstborn, he had to do it himself. You remember in Agadat Pesach, it says it was me and not an angel, me and not a messenger, me and this. It says me. Why was it a him? Why Hashem had nothing else to do in life? He has zillions of angels, unlimited amount of angels he can send. Just, hey, listen, go kill all the Egyptians. The Gemara in Baba Kama says that any time that Hashem releases forces of destruction, the forces of destruction cannot tell the difference between good and evil. And they will just destroy everyone, unless they're completely righteous people. Am Yisrael was not considered different than the Egyptians. They were also considered evil. They were also considered wicked. Before the plague of darkness, Moshe came to the nation and said, we have to leave. We're going to have to leave. We're going to go to Mount Sinai. Get Torah. The whole purpose of the world. We're not going. What do you mean you're not going? Look what Hashem did. Look how many miracles He gave us. Look how many miracles He gave us. He turned the water into blood. He did this, He did this, He did this. He did this. For the whole, to culminate, to get to the point of leaving. We're going to leave soon. We're not going. Why are you not going? 
listen, when we were slaves, we would have gone with you. Of course, we wanted to stay a slave. We're not slaves anymore. We haven't been slaves in months. Shmuley opened a store. The other guy opened a business. This guy just got a car. This guy's building a second floor in his house. This guy's remodeling here. This guy's working on gardens. Everybody's late. We're living life now. We're comfortable. We're fine. Why? And as far as, uh, as far as Hashem, you have to worry about Hashem. You know how much suffering we had? You know how much kaparat avonot we had? We don't do tshuva anymore. We're fine. You know how much su- We've been slaves for 116 years. More than half the time that we've been in Egypt, 210 years we're in Egypt, 116 years we're slaves. But not slaves like today's slaves that butlers make $150,000 a year. Talk about slaves, they beat you up. If you don't make your quota, they put your son inside the blocks. You want to have a kid nine months, if the kid ends up being a boy, they kill him. To make sure that you don't build an ego, they make, they give you, they take you, they make you watch the little babies. They take your wife, and she starts building the building. You make the wife do the man's job, and the man does the woman's job. Destroy egos. After you built everything, they destroy it on purpose. Why? So you don't even have a sense of building anything. Not even a sense of achievement. Forget about making money. Even a sense of achievement to at least say, you know what, I didn't make any money, I'm a poor guy, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. But you know that bridge? Your father did it. You could tell your son one day, your father did it. He built a bridge. Have something to be proud of. Okay, I'm not a rich man, I'm not a smart man, blue collar guy. But you know that building? I was there. They didn't want to give them even that sense of, of pleasure. Nothing. Evil of all evils. And Abutai, Am Yisrael was saying, we're not there anymore. We're not slaves anymore. If it was then, we'd leave. But we're not there anymore. So let Hashem give us the Torah now. Because if it's in regards to Egypt, Egypt is definitely better than the desert. So Hashem must not want us to go into the desert. You must be making a mistake, Moshe. Maybe you're making a mistake. Maybe you're mistranslating what he's saying. If it's in regards to Hashem, wants us to sacrifice and so on, we've been sacrificing for 116 years. No one did tshuva like us. Not even you, Moshe. You've been on vacation for 60 years. No one does tshuva like us. We're ready. Abutaya Karim. This is us today. I'm not telling you the story of two or three thousand years ago. I'm telling you the story of today. This is Am Yisrael today. You tell Am Yisrael, listen, Mashiach is going to be here soon. Hashem wants everyone to do tshuva. The Rambam says, we learned that tshuva is the number one most important job for all of Am Yisrael because every single prophet we ever had talked about tshuva. Every single prophet. Every single prophet made tshuva the number one mission they have. Am Yisrael must do tshuva. Whether it's Moshe Rabbeinu, Avraham Avinu, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Isaiah, uh, uh, anyone, anyone. Zachariah, Ezekiel, David Melech, any prophet, men, women, we had seven women that were prophets, 48 men, all of them, number one job, Am Yisrael do tshuva. Some worked on communities, some worked on the entire nation. But the point is, all of them delivered the same message. Am Yisrael must do tshuva. 
The Rambam says, that's the number one mission for Am Yisrael, do tshuva. What do you mean? But everyone's religious. You have to do tshuva. But they keep Shabbat, exactly, do tshuva. But they learn, exactly, you have to do tshuva. It's good you're keeping Shabbat, now you have to do tshuva. A lot of people think they've done tshuva. A lot of people are sure the tshuva is not relevant to them. They tell me, no, no, I don't need to come to your shulim. You just talk about tshuva all the time. I already did tshuva 15 years ago. I keep Shabbat. I said, yeah, you keep Shabbat. But now it's time to do tshuva. Shabbat is good. Tarat mishpacha is good. Kosher is good. Modesty is good. Now you have to do tshuva. What do you mean you have to do tshuva? You have to fix the inside. Outside you're perfect. Everyone thinks you're Baba Sali. Inside you're still rotten potatoes. Inside you're still angry every five minutes. Inside you still have an ego that's bigger than the room. Inside you're still stingy. You're still not sure whether you should give five dollars or five and a half dollars to the car, myself, for the entire year. You made a half a million dollars, you want to give five dollars. Help Hashem out, five dollars. The guy ate a sandwich the size of his head. He says, is there a shorter version of Bikat Amazon? It took him three hours to eat the sandwich, but he doesn't want to spend three minutes say Bikat Amazon. Say thank you to Hashem. Three minutes, doesn't want to spend. Three hours to eat the sandwich. But three minutes to say thank you? No. Okay, you keep. You're eating kosher. But your midot is still rotten. Your character traits is still, you still have an unchuva. This is all of us. You tell people, listen, you have to work on all of these different things. You have to learn Musar. You have to work on yourself and so on and so forth. People look at you like you have five heads. And you start noticing that a lot of people live such a life that's so consumed with material, so consumed with the Egyptian Greek life, that if the Mashiach came, they just tell him to leave. Why? Listen, I'm finishing remodeling my house right now. Can you come back in a couple of years? Let me enjoy the house. I just signed a new deal with uh, Walt Disney. I'll make a million dollars this year off of Walt Disney. Let me uh, enjoy the million dollars first, then you come back. Eliyahu Ali- Navi is going to come three days before the Mashiach. Say, hey, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, tell the Mashiach, hold up a little while. Hold up a little while. It doesn't have to be three days. Three days is a little, uh, a little, a little too much on us. We have to get ready. You know, the wife is still doing this. The husband is still doing this. The kids haven't finished school. People say, Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. But as soon as the Mashiach comes, they're going to say, go away. Because they haven't done tshuva. Tshuva is something that happens on a day-to-day basis. It's not a one-time thing. So Am Yisrael did not do tshuva. Before Hashem Yitbarach took them out of Egypt, they did not do tshuva. And they also did not have an intention to do tshuva. Because they intended on living a life no different than a guy that decides that he's going to shave with a razor. No different than a guy that decides that he's going to wear shatnez. And whether it's shatnez or not, it's God's problem, not his. He's not going to change. They decided to live with the sin. Hashem says, okay, you want to sin? No problem. He killed all of them. 80% at the best case scenario, 80% of Am Yisrael did not survive. He killed 80% of Am Yisrael. Only 20% left Egypt. We learn this from the Pasuk, Hamushim. In the beginning of the parasha, 
for anyone who didn't hear it already, it's very important to know this. V'chamushim alu b'nei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim. Chazal says, Chamushim means one out of five. One out of five. Meaning, one out of five of Am Yisrael left Egypt. What happened to the other four? The other four Hashem killed at the plague of darkness. Why? They didn't want to do tshuva. They didn't want to go to Mount Sinai. They wanted to get the Torah, their version. Make Hashem bring us the Torah to Egypt. Make Hashem give us the Torah the way we like it. Our version. There is no your version. There's no your version. Now the scariest part, Rabotai, as you see in the Gemara, also Midrash Tanchuma. Rabbi Neorai says, Alvai, Alvai, meaning I wish that one out of 500, one out of 500 of, of, of Bnei Israel left Egypt. I wish it was one out of 500. But in reality, he says, continues, but in reality, even one out of 5,000 did not leave Egypt. Meaning the one out of five that we just said, 20% survived, 80% didn't. Shtuyot, he says. I wish it was one out of 500, because it's really not even one out of 5,000. And Midrash Me'am Lo'ez says it's not even one, one out of 500,000. The numbers are scarier and scarier. When people say, listen, you know, I mean, most of Amitzvah doesn't keep basic level mitzvot, they don't pray, they don't say Shema Yisrael, they don't even know Shema Yisrael. They don't eat kosher. They don't keep Shabbat. Basic level mitzvot. Nothing. What, Hashem is going to kill all of them? I'm not going to let them do tshuva. They can do tshuva now. What if they don't? Okay, we're Pasha B'Shalach. It tells you, what if you don't? It tells you, what if you don't? It won't be the first time. That's why every Friday, before you go into Shabbat, most important mitzvah, what does it say? Hashem l'mabul yashav. God sat and let the flood happen. He let the flood happen. What do you mean with the flood? The flood destroyed the entire world. Without Torah, without you complying with Torah, there's no point. He doesn't need you. We need Him. He's perfect. Meaning that the only one that can win or lose out of this is us. He's perfect. We don't decrease or increase anything. He's perfect. We could win, we could lose. So without us winning, we lose, not him. Hashem l'mabu yashav. Am Yisrael was not interested in doing it. Now the best of them, the best of them that survived, the one out of 5,000 or the one out of 20, whatever it is, whatever the number is, either way it's a tragedy. The biggest tragedy that ever happened in the history of Am Yisrael was its beginning. Whatever the number was, the best of them that survived got to Yam Suf. Those best of them, that 20%, that 2%, whatever that is, the Malach of Mitzrayim says, I want to kill all of them. I have the right to kill all of them. They're, they still have the, even the best of them were still idol worshippers. 
אבן העזר, says that only a foolish dog says that Moshe knew the timing of the tides while Paro did not. This is the conversation of crazy people. So he says, a lot of people try to rationalize how Yam Suf was split. In today's world, they try to say it was a tsunami. In previous generation, of the generation of the Evan Ezel, there was also Kufrim back then. Kufrim weren't just born in this generation. It's Kufrim back then also. It says, they said, no, no. The reason why Amisa was able to split, go, go into the ocean was not because Hashem split the ocean. It was because Moshe knew the timing of the tides. And you know when there was a really, really low tide. And he went and he specially took millions of people out of Egypt exactly at a time where there's a low tide so they could pass. And Paro arrived right when the tide went back up. He says, this is conversation of a crazy person. Hashem split the ocean. And the ten miracles are as follows. Hashem split the ocean. On top of it, He turned it into tunnels. Tunnels. Twelve different tunnels. Why? So each tribe, each tribe is comfortable with themselves. Ashkenazi with Ashkenazi, Sephardi with Sephardi, Yehuda with Yehuda, Shimon with Shimon. Everyone's comfortable with themselves. Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily so far from us. It's a reality. If you have a keilah, it's a strong keilah, they pray together for a few years together, and all of a sudden a new guy comes in from somewhere else. No one knows who he is. It's going to bother people. Who's this guy? Who is this guy? Who, who does he want? What do you want from him? He's a spy? What do you mean he's a Jew? What do you want from him? He's a spy? What does he want? Well, for them, people are not comfortable. They're not going to talk next to him. Who is he? What is he? But he's a Jew though. What do you have? A... That's us. That's Ami Sled. That's Ami Sled. We have comfort. We have our own people, our own family, our own things. That's just the way it is. Hashem knows this. There's 12 tribes. I'm going to give each one of them their own tunnel. You're comfortable with Yehuda is Yehuda, Shimon Shimon, Benjamin Benjamin, and so on and so forth. The third was that the seabed was dried, made into perfectly flat land that was dry. Why? Because if it's muddy, if it's like the ocean really is, you're not going to be able to walk there. It's going to take you uh, a year and a half to walk ten steps. With all, you know, putting you on top of it. If you have, uh, if you have cattle, you have this. You have So it allowed the Jews to pass unimpeded, meaning no, no problem, but he also flattened it because the, 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 uh, the bottom of the ocean is not flat. It's a, like a valley. It's like a hill and a valley and so on. Hashem made it flat. So they don't tire out. But then after they passed, the fourth miracle was that the seabed turned back into mud which stopped the Egyptians, slowed them down. On top of it, he 
solidified the water like a rock. So it wasn't like there's a, uh, sometimes the movies show that it's a, uh, an ocean and there's like a wind. And, no, no. The, the actual water turned into mamash like ice. There's a pasuk in the Torah that says that it was like ice. But he specifically made it hard enough, hard type of ice, that's specially hard. What hard? Hard like a sela, like a, um, one of those uh, giant stones in the ocean that's indestructible pretty much. Why? Because he was going to use that same strength to destroy all the Egyptians and smash their heads on it. Same thing that's pleasing the Jews is being used as a punishment against the Egyptians. Solidified the water like rock substance that caused injury to the Egyptians. The Midras is a little bit more specific than injury to the Egyptians. He actually says to crush their skulls. Listen, after all they did to us, they deserve all of it. The sea waters formed into perfectly shaped bricks. Now Hashem took parts of the ice, parts of the ocean, and He made it into little dust, but not dust, dust the shape of diamonds. Big diamonds with different shades and lights. It's like a beautiful 20-star hotel. Not uh, like, oh, was, uh, let's get out of here. No, it's beautiful. Why? So they could be pleasing for their eyes when they passed. They enjoyed how it looked to see Hashem is Hamash going above and beyond. Next miracle is that the walls of the um, formed by the waters created 12 separate corridors, allowing each one of the tribes. Well, actually, that's that one I already said. And then it says that the sweet water came out of the salt water. So Shem would, we're in notion, salt water. But now it's a long journey, it's not five minutes. It takes a little while to go across the ocean with millions of people. It's going to be a while. You're going to get thirsty. Hashem made the seawater, whenever someone was thirsty, you just go next to, this, to the ice, a little wall would open, and the seawater, that salt water, turned into fresh water. And it would give him as much drink as he wanted. And plants came out of the, uh, fruits came out of the ground, and trees with special fruits... And you had as much water as possible. Now, so you don't feel uncomfortable that maybe we're going to run out of water. As soon as you finish drinking, the water stopped by itself. The remaining sweet water froze in place, ready for when the Jews would need to drink again. So the miracles that we had is amazing. Miracles before this, we saw the plagues. Each one of the plagues was bigger than the next. But who is he doing this for? He's doing this for what the Gemara calls a nation of Eromim. People that were naked. What do you mean naked? Naked of mitzvot. They arrived at the sea and the Malach of Mitzrayim says they have no right to live. This generation, these people that are Eromim, he made all the miracles for them. Even further,
despite the plagues that he did, of the uh, blood and the lice and the uh, animals and the boils and the firstborn and the hail that had lava in it and so on. We went over all this stuff. He used the same thing that gave salvation to Am Yisrael as a way to destroy the Egyptians to see, to show Am Yisrael that he's controlling everything. The same ground that they walked on turned into something that was hot enough to destroy the wheels and melt the wheels of the Egyptians. Same ground you just walked on. If you walked and they took a different road, it's a different story. But they went in the same place. You just you were just there two seconds ago and turned to lava and burned them. Now, so you're not scared. You're going to a tunnel. You're going comfortably. And Benjamin is in a different route. But you don't know. Did Benjamin survive? Did he not survive? Oh, so Hashem, did he make the tunnels? What did he do? He made them clear. So you can see, oh, Benjamin's still okay. He's just a different tunnel. And Yehuda is over here. And Shimon is over here. So you know everybody's okay. Who's not okay? The Egyptians. Only one that's not okay is the Egyptians. So for not even for one second are you concerned. Hashem is, is Mama is changing the world for you. And even further, when we got to Mount Sinai, Hashem opened. Mama Chazal says Hashem opened the seven skies, the seven heavens. To show Am Yisrael, there's no one else here. There's no one else here. There's no other gods. There's no sun. There's no. There's nothing else. Just me. Open the heavens. Said, look, nothing. I'm no. I'm alone. So there's no doubts. Why these are people that didn't have any mitzvot? First of all, why do you even do the miracles? For someone that didn't have the mitzvot. Second of all, why don't you do it again? Why don't you do it now? Open the sky right now, seven heavens, all of us do tshuva. So from here, Rabotai, we learn a few key things. Number one, the schut, the schut that Am Yisrael had was that they did fulfill a couple of things that gave them merits. Shmam, leshonam vebigdam. And also some say the, uh, their modesty. So they kept their names as Jewish names. They kept their language as Hebrew, as the holy language. They didn't change it to English or Arabic or something else. They didn't start calling their kids, you know, uh, different uh, uh, Goyish names. No one was named John or Matthew or Luke. Unfortunately, today you still have some people that are actually Jewish and have these names. And in some cases, you have people changing their names to this because they're not comfortable with their Jewish name. I know one rabbi that his real name is Gabriel and he changed his name to Mamas, like the uh, like a Christian name galore. Like it's not like, I forget what the, which one it is. I don't want to miss it. But the point, it's Mamas. It's like it's, it has, it has nothing to do with Ju- Judaism, this name. But he's a rabbi of a Bikila. This is happening, Rabbi It's happening. I'm not just uh, trying to... Say that everyone everyone knows this is reality. So even the schut of Shmam we don't really have anymore. Leshonam, unfortunately, most of Amisa does not speak Hebrew. We prefer to speak other languages. 
I remember when we first came to the United States, I was uh, just finished fourth grade. As soon as we arrived in America, I stopped speaking Hebrew. Why? There's no point. Why? You're in America, speak English. So for almost 20 more years, I did not speak Hebrew, except with my parents, which even that became lower and lower over time. And English became my first language. Why? If you're not learning at all, what are you going to use Hebrew for? So even the credit of Leshonam, we didn't know we needed. Then Bigdam, their clothes look like a Jew. In the old days, Jews looked like today's Arabs. Today, the Arabs look like Jews. How can you tell the difference? The Arabs are the ones that want to kill everyone. The Jews are trying to survive. But you have a lot of people, you tell them, listen, you know, you have to do tshuva. Like, what do you mean? You're speaking to us, we're in a yeshiva. I speak a couple of times, spoke a yeshivot. I start talking about yeshiva. Sometimes people ask me, what do you mean? You weren't yeshiva. We're students in the yeshiva. What tshuva? Why are you talking about tshuva? I said, yes, all of you have to do tshuva. Why? What do you mean? They don't even realize what's wrong. You look at them, and you see, you have to do tshuva. Their clothes are tighter than their skin. The skin is suffering from how, clo- how tight the clothes is. They all want to look like the goyim. They all want to look like uh, you know, one of the rappers on, on TV. Even in yeshiva sometimes. We're not just talking about the people that are secular, keeping nothing. We're talking about people that are religious. Everyone wants to look like uh, they just came off the runway show. They want to look like uh, one of these uh, uh, Beckham, this soccer player that became a runway model or something. They want to look like Hollywood. But you're yeshiva student, you're a Jew, you're not Hollywood. So even Big Dam we don't have the credit for. And they say, the, some of Chazal says it's also because of their modesty. Shem Rechem on that one. What modesty do we have? So Ami said, had a few credits, but still wasn't enough. So Hashem gave him a couple, a couple of more mitzvot. He says, these couple of mitzvot will show me your emunah, because the, out, the exterior is never going to be enough. You could wear certain clothes because it's comfortable. You could speak a certain language because you were never educated in something else. Your name is not up to you. Your parents gave it to you. So you gave him two mitzvot where you have to have a munah. What were they? The korban and also the brit milah. Why? You're not going to do those two mitzvot unless you have some level of a munah in Hashem that He runs the world. So Hashem told Moshe, tell Am Yisrael, tell each one of them to bring their own korban. Take a... Uh, a uh, What's it called in English? Sheep. Take a sheep and tie it to the bed. Tie it to the bed for a few days. It's going to make a lot of noise. Exactly. But it's going to make the noise and the Egyptians are going to come. The Egyptians are going to come. They're going to tell us, what are you doing with our God? Why are you tying our God to, to, to your bed? Because the sheep was their God. Why are you tying our God to your bed? And tell Am Yisrael... We're tying him because in a couple of days we're going to kill him. We're going to slaughter him and make him a little shish kebab out of him. Only way you're going to do such a mitzvah against your former boss is if you have some level of emunah in Hashem. Hashem says, I need to see your emunah. I need to see your emunah. Talk is cheap. Be people with keep doing it, keep doing it, veli bori chak mimeni. 
In his mouth, in his lips, he showed me respect, but his heart was far away from me. People talk, talk is cheap. Oh, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem. The minute you have a test, oh, where's Hashem? What do you mean? The same one you loved? He's here. He didn't go away. He doesn't go on vacation, he doesn't sleep. So, Hashem had to give us a certain test to see at least something. Give us, a, I, could, I could use this against the Malach that wants to kill you. Now when people ask, why does an Hashem, okay, so Hashem made certain miracles for this generation to save us. He promised to our forefathers of Ram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that He's not going to destroy us. Said them. Why does He do it again now? Why don't you just open the sky and tell us, hey, I'm the only one here. Why are you doing it again? Because from the very, very same story, from the very same story we learn that miracles do not make people do tshuva. Because at this point, when Am Yisrael is being Exile is, is being taken away, taken out of Egypt. They've already seen miracles above and beyond the norm. A year worth of miracles. They saw the water turn into blood. They saw the frogs. They saw the uh, lice. They saw the animals. They saw all types of things that were miracles. Things that didn't make any sense. And they still had doubts. To such an extent that 80% of them were not willing to leave. Miracles do not make people do tshuva. And Hashem still showed the few that survived miracles. Why? It had nothing to do with them. The miracles were not for them. The miracles were for you. The miracles, Rabotai, were for you to talk about and to realize that Hashem runs the world 3,300 years later. For them to survive, He made the whole show. But He could have done it other ways. could have done it in a natural way. could have just killed a bunch of Egyptians. All of them. The whole show, the miracles, the magic, all of that stuff had nothing to do with them. They were so difficult that even the miracles didn't work. Imagine... A year worth of miracles in Egypt still doesn't work. Still don't want he wants to do tshuva. You get to the ocean, Malach Mitzrayim says, listen, Hashem, they're idol worshippers, they're idol worshippers. Hashem says, you're right. I'm not splitting the ocean for them then. Ocean didn't split. Moshe Rabbeinu hits the ocean, ocean does nothing. He says, I'm not splitting, Moshe, go away. What do you mean not splitting? How are we going to go? Split, not splitting. Split. I'm not splitting. I'm not splitting. Go away. You split. I'm not splitting. Why am I going to split for you? Idol worshippers? Why am I going to split for you? Moshe starts, everybody starts screaming. Some of them want to commit suicide. Some of them want to go back to being slaves. Some of them want to go fight. Some are just confused. 
Nachshon ben Aminadav goes into the water and says, there's no way. There's no way that Hashem does something for nothing. He brought us this test because we can pass it. Behind us, Egyptians. Obviously, that's not a choice. We can't go back. He took us out so we can leave, not so we can go back. Right and left is not an option. There's scorpions and there's snakes. There's nothing there. You can't get to the destination going sideways. Meaning the only other option that's viable is straight. Yes, but there's water. That's Hashem's problem. Yes, but there's difficult. That's Hashem's problem. Yes, but it doesn't make sense. Exactly. That's Emuna. Nachshon ben Aminadav goes into the water believing 100% this is the only way. But what's 100%? He's willing to put his life on the line. Is Emunah is willing to put his life on the line for his belief in Hashem. Not just money, not just relationships, not just kavod, it's life. There's no turning back. He goes into the ocean, Chazal says, up to the point we start swallowing water. At that moment, that maaseh, that act, was enough to give all of us the merit to cross the ocean. Hashem split the sea. But not into one, but into twelve. We showed some level of emunah. We showed some level, of, one person showed a level of emunah. A few people followed. She says, oh, they want to follow? Good. That means they have potential. Maybe they'll do tshuva eventually. But even then, even after we saw the miracles of the ocean, when we got to Mount Sinai, Hashem still had to do the impossible. Still had to do the unnatural. Because the nation was a Amk She'orif, was a 49th level of Tumah. Chazal says if they would have gone to 50, would have had to destroy the world. Meaning there was such a lowly generation that he had to literally open the heavens and say, listen, there's no one else here. The statue you're praying to, he's not here. He's still there next to you. He's still there. He's not, there's no, I'm here alone. You have two options. You see Mount Sinai? I bent it on top of you. It's like a chupah. Like the talit you have in a chupah. Here's my Torah. I created this Torah 974 generations before I created the world. If you accept it, this is our chupah. If you don't, this will be your funeral. Which one do you want? Chazal says, what kind of deal is this? You're forcing them into the Torah? The Abar says, what do you think God is? Negotiating with people? He's going to make all of creation depend on a bunch of people that were in the 49th level of Tumah, didn't know right, didn't know left yet. Because everyone else is depending on a yes. Including the angels. All of them were shaken. Because already in Maaseh Bereshit, already in the creation of the world, Hashem made a deal. If they accept the Torah, good. If they don't, I'm destroying the world. Meaning the angels were shaking, the planets were shaking, the goyim were shaking, the animals were shaking. Everyone was shaking. Everyone needed to say, them to say yes. But no one can make them say yes. It was free choice. But what kind of free choice? Free choices if you say, no, I'm going to destroy you and everything else. You have a choice. It's just, 
It's choice. It's not free choice. There's a price for this choice. It's an expensive choice, not free choice. Why? Because we have a responsible God that He's not just going to punish all of creation because of a bunch of fools. Now this is a generation that was in the 49th level of Tumah. And still they had difficulty until they did Shuva. And even then, they still made certain mistakes. But, Baruch Hashem, we are their Gilgulim. All of the generation that was in the desert for 40, for 40 years, whoever is alive at the times of the Mashiach, you are a reincarnation of one of those people. We didn't stop messing up back then, we're still messing up today a little bit. What's the difference? What's the difference? What changed? What is this Mishnah telling us? There were miracles that were performed for our ancestors. Good. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, thank you very much. We got miracles because of you. There was ten at the sea. We didn't deserve it, but Baruch Hashem, we had a few people step up. A few zealous people. Nachshon ben Aminadav. Mashiach comes from him. He stepped up. We got some miracles. Baruch Hashem. Ten plagues Hashem put on Egypt and Egyptians. And ten plagues on the sea. Destroyed everything to show us that he's running the world and so on. Great. Why are you repeating it? What's the point? What's the connection to us today? Today. 5778. What's the connection? With the Gilgul. The difference is Rabotai. The Orachayim HaKadosh says, the time before the Mashiach, we will reach the level 50. We will reach worse than what we had in Egypt. But why wouldn't Hashem destroy us then? Because it said 50 would destroy. 50 would be destruction only without Torah. Because Torah can make you do tshuva. Which means, the only way, only way, that we can survive, that we can prosper, that we can celebrate, that we can be excited for eternity, is if we hold on to the truth because our life depends on it. You hold on, you have nothing to worry about. You'll be part of that section that survives. You want to stay with the goyim? You want to stay 50-50? You want to be a datiloni? Religious sometimes except on vacation? Religious sometimes, except in the business. Mada sometimes when you go to the Beknesset, but not outside. Wear a tzitzit only in the house, but not outside. You know, religious whenever it's convenient for you. Learn whenever it's convenient for you. Hashem comes second, everything else comes first. We learn from this story. We learn from this Mishnah. It didn't work for them. And if you're saying you had a tough life, and that should be the reason of why... You should survive and why Hashem should welcome you with open arms. Because you, you suffered, you had struggled, you had a tough life. Did you have a tougher life than they did? They didn't have that, they didn't have such an easy time. They suffered a lot more than we did. They were slaves. And still they needed to do tshuva. If there was ever a generation that was 100% with all the excuses in the world to not do tshuva, it was them. Hashem says you still need to do tshuva. So yes, there's a lot of confusion. Yes, there's a lot of fake rabbis. Yes, there's a lot of different yetzerah. There's girls and there's guys and there's money and there's no money and there's sickness and there's this. There's a million and a half different things. But, Baruch Hashem, we have a Torah. Torah emet. You learn the Torah. You learn how to fix your midot. You do real tshuva. You have nothing to worry about. You don't. You have everything to worry about.
And that's what we learned from this Mishnah that is relevant. You can say some of these things in Yeshuchan Shabbat, especially if you have people that haven't done Shuva or people that think that they're finished. They're really religious. There's no such thing as from from birth anymore. Everyone has to do tshuva. Everyone has to work on themselves for some reason. Something. And if we continue working on yourself, then Hashem is not going to have to help you. Hashem is not going to have to work on you. You're doing it already yourself. And that rabotai is the last thing that we learn. Paro, Paro got a special merit in this parasha. The parasha, in essence, is named after him. The entire Yetziat Mitzrayim is named after him. It says, Vayi b'shalach paro, et ta'am velo nacham Elohim derech eretz, Pilistim. It says, and it happened when paro sent out the people. What do you mean paro sent out the people? God sent out the people. Moshe was the messenger, not paro. Why does it say paro sent out the people? Paro is a rasha. Paro is wiki. No, he killed 150 babies every morning. Because somebody told him that their blood is good for him to bathe in. This psychopath. Every day killed 150 Bnei Yisrael. Why are you naming the parasha after him? Why are you saying that he freed us? Why? Because in this parasha, parod tshuva. After being wicked, Rasha Merusha for years, for decades, telling Moshe Rabbeinu, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. To Moshe Rabbeinu. Tell Moshe Rabbeinu, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. I don't want to see your face. I'm never releasing them. Who's your God? He killed so many. He destroyed so many. Parasha is called Parashat B'Shalach. B'Shalach me? Paro. Why not Hashem? Because Paro did tshuva. Paro realized he's wrong. Okay, I did what I did. But in reality, I have to free them. So what he do in his pajamas, he started telling, no, 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 come on, come on, the bottles, pick up the bottles, hey guys, here's some money, here's some toys, here's some this. He started saying, no, Bnei said, go, go, you need to go, go serve Hashem, pray for me too. Here's a bacha, put, put, uh, put this in the kotel for me. Go, 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 pray for me here. He embarrassed himself, it says. It wasn't a fake tshuva, it was a real tshuva, he embarrassed himself. A king coming out in his pajamas telling the nation, hey, go, go, go. He did some level of tshuva, and that's the reason why Hashem let him live and killed everyone else. Everyone else he killed. They didn't do tshuva. He did tshuva, he became the melech of Nineveh. He became king of Nineveh. We learn about him in, the, in uh, Sefer Yonah. Why? He did some level of tshuva. Even though he went after them again, and the whole thing happened, still there was some type of regret. He knew God is real. So Paro did tshuva. What about us? Oh, the tshuva. What about us? That's what we have to realize all the time. All of these different things, these are small little bombs. Some is a grenade, some is an atomic bomb, some is a hydrogen bomb, all different bombs. Each one of these bombs can help you do tshuva. Pick one. Pick one what's going to help you tomorrow, what's going to carry you to the rest of the week. Because the next time you hear a rabbi telling you something different, says, no, 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 Hashem loves you, you're okay, you don't need to do anything, just give the and everything is fine, tell him, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Prove it to me that Hashem loves me and I don't have to do tshuva. Show me a verse in the Torah that says you don't have to do tshuva. 
If he says, no, it's in your Sidur, it says, Kol Yisrael is lehem chelek l'olam haba. Kol Yisrael of Israel has a share of the world to come. But it says, Vamech kulam tzadikim. Do you read the rest of the verse? It says, yes, all the tzadikim. Israel is all the tzadikim. My tzadik, I don't keep Shabbat. Mm-hmm. How am I tzadik? Prove to me I don't have to do tshuva. Prove. Show me one verse in the entire Torah. One verse. Not two, not three, not four, not fifty. One verse in the Torah. One verse in the entire Gemara. One verse everything. They tell you, no, no, no. All Am Yisrael has mitzvot like rimonim. Am Yisrael has many mitzvot like a rimon. Has, a pomegranate has seeds. Great. 613 they say. It's not really 613. They just say it is. Great. 613 mitzvot is not going to help you. Why? Maybe if you do it one day, you did 600 mitzvot. Great. You need to do that uh, in a lifetime. You do a lot more than the 600. You can't do a mitzvah by ba'avera. You can't say, listen, I'm uh, going to teach uh, Torah, but the Torah you're teaching is not kosher. So, again, these tools that you're learning, this musar, this reality check, that's your weapon. That's your weapon against the liars, the thieves, the people that are just interested in your pocket, the people that are just interested in you staying exactly the same. There's a lot of them. It's very confusing, Rabbi It's very, very confusing. But if you want to be part of that part that's going to survive, you're going to have to hold on to the truth because your life depends on it. Any questions? Ken. Where did they have time to work Avodah Zarah? Where did they work Avodah Zarah? Well, I mean, to, p- to pray, you always have time for. You pray you, you pray while you're doing other things. But, I mean, as far as the... Uh, Yetzara will always make time for you to make sense. Always. So, for example, you tell a person, listen, we have a shield Torah. Oh, when? Nine o'clock. Oh, no, no, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Said, okay, next time. I'll call you when we're having I'll call you, I'll call you when we're having the seven o'clock shiur. And then you call the guy after the shiur, twelve o'clock at night, you're calling the guy. No, so what are you doing? Oh no no, I'm just watching a show. If you're already watching a show at twelve o'clock, you could have been at the shiur for three hours. Why did you have time to watch the show? Why did you have time to go to the gym? Why did you have time to do nothing? But to come to the shiur, you didn't have time. Why? Because the Yetzirah convinces you it's too late. Yetzirah convinces you you can't do it. Yetzirah will always make time for, for you to, to meet him. Always, always, always. That's the way it works. Always if you notice, if you notice that when it comes to wasting money on shtuyot, you always have money. Somebody wants to get a fancier car, they can always find a way to afford it. Somebody wants to find a way to get a bigger house, they can always find a way to afford it. Somebody wants to get an extra watch for $10,000, that they don't, still tells the same time as the $5 watch. The $10,000 watch and the $5 watch, same time. But they're always going to find a way to afford the $10,000. But you tell the guy, listen, you want to save some Jews from actually going to gain home, you want to help them do tshuva? Okay, it's uh, 100 bucks. 100 bucks, you can save 100 Jews. No, it's, wow, it's, a lot of money you save Jews these days, huh? $10,000 in a watch is not a lot of money. $100 is a lot of money. $1,000 is a lot of money. For $10,000 for shtiot, you always have money. But $10,000 for mitzvot, no, come on, it's 
Come on, what do you think I am, Rockefeller? No, I just think you're a guy with ten thousand dollars watch. That's all I think. But that's the thing. Yetzirah works inside. He has a he has a he has a villa inside. He says, no, no, ten thousand dollars for shtiot, guaranteed you're gonna have. Hundred thousand dollars for the car, guaranteed you're gonna have. You tell the guy, listen, you need to buy tefillin. I had a guy he says he, want, he doesn't have tefillin. Start doing tshuva, tefillin. Da, da, da. So you have to do tefillin. Oh no, no, I have my tefillin from bar mitzvah. I said, yeah, but you're forty years old. You have to buy a regular normal normal tefillin for an adult. That's you know, kosher tefillin. How much is it? Ah, listen, if it's a basic basic level for bar mitzvah, boy, five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks. If you want something for an adult that's melda, that's respectable, and so on. You can get even to a couple of thousand dollars. Depends. Depends what your budget is. Oh, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Okay, no problem. Let me think about it. A little time passes. I, uh, you know, I hear from him again. Hey, listen, yeah, we're on vacation. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking that uh, those feelings are very expensive. I'm thinking, wait, you're on vacation. Vacation flight for you, your wife, the kid, and this kid. They the vacation did not, just to get there cost you no less than $10,000. But five, six hundred dollars for tefillin, they don't have. Why? Yetzirah. Yetzirah. Yetzirah will always give you money for shtiyot. He'll give you unlimited money. Sometimes the Yetzirah will give you business just to make sure you're learning Torah. Sometimes you have a guy, whole day he's nothing. There's no business. It's like a, it's like a uh, funeral center. No one's dying today. Everyone's alive. Five seconds before he needs to leave, he wants to go to Shiur Torah. All of a sudden, the customer that he never heard from Decides to call five minutes before. He's like, oh, you know what? Let me talk to this guy for two hours. He talks to the guy. He misses the shield Torah. Why? Yetzirah is willing to give you money. Just don't go learn Torah. Why? Torah is samamavit for him. The Torah is the it's, it's potion of death for him. That's how you kill him. So, the sins we've made in Mitzrayim, of course there's room for it. For Abu for sins, there's always room. Most people think today that, uh, you know, someone that's from from birth, you know, is, should not have any worry about Abu If you're, let's say, a secular person, and you go to the Israeli army, many of them go after the army, or many young guys today, uh, around the same age, they want to go to different places around the world, to Thailand, to India, to different places. And they want to climb these mountains and they go to the mountains and they don't realize that on top of these mountains are huge idols. And climbing these mountains, you have a serious problem. You're, you're enjoying idols. You have a very, very big sin in your account. Now, a secular person doesn't think about this stuff. He's thinking, oh, wow, I just climbed the mountain. Oh, wow, I just climbed the Great Wall. Oh, wow, I just did all these different things. He's thinking it's an achievement in life. He doesn't realize in, in, in Shemaim, they just put an X mark on him. So, Shemaim so, secular person doesn't even know what he doesn't know. Now, religious person also, also thinks, idol worshiper is not for me. I know I, I can't pray to idols. I know I'm not going to climb some mountain in uh, Thailand. So, I don't have to worry about idols. But what did we find out two years ago? That unfortunately today, many religious people have idols on their head. It's called wigs. It's called wigs. Sometimes it's in their pockets, it's called money. They worship the money more than they worship God. You tell the guy, listen, uh, you know, use this money that you have instead of building an extra large size 401k that you're not going to live to see. Why don't you 
build an extra large mitzvot account. Do something with the money. No, no, you know how hard I worked for the money. So the point is, is that people think that they're, they don't have to worry about anything. Everyone is convinced that they're finished. That all they have to do is just survive long enough to see the Mashiach. Like in the business world, they used to tell people, all you have to do to succeed is survive long enough to succeed. Which is true. In business, if you have a decent, honest business, all you really have to do to succeed is survive. Because eventually the tides are going to turn, and if you have a decent business that's proactive, that's a, you know, you're, 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 you're chasing, you're doing whatever you're supposed to be doing, you're an honest guy, you're treating customers right, even though you may not start at the top on day one, and it may take you even years before you actually make a few dollars. In general, you see that these really successful businesses that became empires, they didn't start that way. Many of them didn't start that way. Many of them actually started with a completely different business. Like for example, if you see the history of some of these major corporations that run the world today, the way they started and what they are today are two completely different businesses. Uh, example, Samsung. Uh, Samsung? Yeah, Samsung. Samsung. I believe it's Samsung. It's huge electronics company. Huge electronics company. Giant. Now you would think Samsung... Maybe the guy that found that Samsung was born with a computer inside his stomach. But you know what? They, I believe it's Samsung. It's either them or something similar. It's a huge, huge company, multi-billion dollar company. It's in electronics. You would think the founder was born with a, maybe an iPhone in his pocket. But you know what Samsung started as? Selling macaroni. Pasta. Pasta. They sold pasta. That was the company. Many of the companies, if you look at them, if you look at the foundation of the companies, it's a completely different business. How do they become multi-billion dollar companies? They survived long enough to succeed. And they adapted to the times. But that's business. You want business, I can give you a course for 10 hours, you can make a million dollars in the next 24 months. It's not going to get you a long battle. That's why I don't teach it. Trying to get you Olam Abba. Olam Abba doesn't have the same rules. You can't survive long enough to see Mashiach. Why? Survival is not going to help you. What's going to help you is doing tshuva. Only thing that's going to help you is doing tshuva. Because if Mashiach comes tomorrow, we're, we're, we're in a worse situation than Parashat B'Shalach. We're in a worse situation because many of us are not ready. Many of us are not ready. Alvai, we're going to be ready. Alvai. And I'm not talking about people outside. I'm talking about us here. So, it's a lot to do. It's a lot to do, Tshuva. So you have to work on your midot. You have to work on character traits. You have to work on all types of different mitzvot that you're not doing. You have to learn. There's a lot. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. The good news is that Hashem is merciful and He's giving us the time. He's giving us the time. He's giving us the ability. It's easier to learn Torah than any other time in history. In a, in a generation of Rabbi Akiva... They passed a decree. They said, whoever learns Torah, we're going to kill him. Rabbi Akiva came out and started teaching Torah. Start teaching Torah. Why are you doing it? I have to teach Torah. They started killing him. Destruction of what these evil Romans did is unbelievable. They started peeling his body. Peeling his body like you peel an apple. And they started selling the meat in the market for people to eat. 
the Chachamim, Chachamim that weren't in the jail, knew that this is what's happening with them, but they were debating about Torah. They were debating about Torah, they had a sugya. You go in Masechet Gitin, they had a sugya, they had a different complication. If a man is allowed to go back with his ex-wife, if when they married, she was really young. Because really, if you if you were married, and you got divorced, and then she married another guy, and she wants to go back to you, you can't do it. But what about if she was really young? So the Chachamim were arguing, she was really young, so it wasn't really, it's not the same thing as someone that made their own choice, and so on and so forth. It was a debate. We don't know. So we have to ask, who are we going to ask? Who are going to ask? Rabbi Akiva. How are we going to get Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva is in jail. How are we going to get a messenger to, to give him a question, a lacha question, they're peeling his skin, they're selling it in the market. It's like, okay, get 400 zoos. You know what 400 zoos is? 400 zoos, you were able to buy a farm full of sheep. Ton of money. It's like a million dollars. Pay the messenger 400 zoos to go ask Rabbi Akiva a question. This is what they did. They sent a question here. Give a question to Rabbi Akiva. Yeah, they're peeling, after they finished peeling his skin today, and, 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 and blood everywhere, and suffering, and screaming, and so on. Ask Rabbi Akiva the question, the Chachamim need to know the answer. Yes or no, it's Allah. Rabbi Akiva says, no. You're right, the question, he gives him the answer. No, you're not allowed. Meaning Rabbi Akiva completely agreed with this Maaseh. He didn't get angry. Oh, what he had. Instead of paying 400 Jews for used to, to ask me a question, why don't you pay 400 Jews for them to release me? No. Torah, what do you mean? It has nothing to do with each other. Has nothing to do with each other. You need to know Allah. That's Torah. You need to know Torah. You need Torah, Torah. I have Torah. Okay, I'll tell you Torah. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm suffering. One has nothing to do with the other. Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Hanina. Hashem says the whole world eats off of Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina himself doesn't have any food, but the whole world eats because of his masse, his 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 good deeds. They said, Rabbi Chalina went in the middle of the street started teaching Torah. Middle of the street started teaching Torah. Dafka. So why are you teaching Torah? Why don't you at least do it hiding? He goes, hiding from who? They said, Rabbi Torah. He goes, who? The Romans. Yeah, but Hashem said to teach. Yeah, but the Romans said no. But Hashem said to teach. Meaning in his head it didn't register. So what if they said? So what if they said, no, yeah, but they're going to kill you now. They're going to cut you up to pieces. So cut me up in pieces. So what? I thought Torah. That's what Hashem said. So what? That's a Ish Kadosh. That's someone that Mamash has made himself completely holy. He's completely disconnected from our reality. Our version of reality is not reality. I learned some of these stories with Rabbi Ephraim the other day. And seriously, we have a warped version of reality. What these... Tzadikim were willing to do for Torah, it's not even something that's comprehensible for us. For them, that's the point of life. Hashem put me in the world to learn Torah, to teach Torah. The fact that I'm suffering, I'm struggling, I'm sad, I'm happy, the dog is, you know, pooped on the carpet, the uh, the, the, the kid failed in school, the car has a flat, it's irrelevant. That's whatever. It's part of life. Yeah, but the law is life. That's part. That's somewhere there. We have, unfortunately, the opposite. We're not going to go to the shore because the dog pooped. 
We're not going to go to the shiur because the uh, the kids are crying. We're not going to go to the shiur because uh, the rabbi looked at me the wrong way and I got offended. You understand? So that's that's the rabbi. That that's the things about the chachamim is that they understood the significance of Torah when you're struggling is much more than you think. To such an extent that Moshe Rabbeinu came to Am Yisrael after Mount Sinai, which we'll talk about a little bit next, next week. And he says to him, and he gazal, he, made, he said, listen, do you know how much I struggled to learn this Torah? What do you mean you struggled? He went to Hashem, he gave you Torah. He goes, I had to go through fire. All the angels wanted to kill me. They had to burn me. They burned Moshe. They wanted to kill Moshe Rabbeinu. At the struggle for this Torah, it's our decree and it's actually pleasant to Hashem for us to struggle for this Torah. Meaning, if you're looking to eat popcorn and, and, and potato chips and that's how you're going to become a Talmud Chacham, Moshe Rabbeinu says, unlikely. You can enjoy the popcorn though. So, that's the Chachamim. That's, that's the, these are things that, again, some of these things we're not expecting to be Rabbi Akiva or Rabbi Chalina or Moshe Rabbeinu. But it just gives us a little bit of a taste of how far we really are from, from what reality really is. So, start with tshuva. Start with doing ma'asim tovim. Start with laying tefillin every day. Start with keeping Shabbat. Start with keep being a kosher person. Keeping kosher in the house, out of the house. Being honest in business. Working on your character traits. Learning Torah every day. Coming to the shiurim. Making Torah number one part of your life. Why? Because chash v'shalom, we end up being the generation of parashat b'shalach that doesn't survive. There's no more Gilulim. There's no more reincarnations. Can't rely on anything like that. What else? An issue of weeds. Of what? Weeds. Weeds like like uh, her, uh, pot? Oh, wigs, wigs. I thought weeds like uh, people smoke. I said, oh, chidush. Actually, I did shiur about that in New York, about uh, marijuana. It's not allowed. Yeah. Unless for medicine. Yeah. Unless you're that rabbi that I talked to two weeks ago, that he talked, he looked at every woman. <laughs> he told me I looked at every woman to make sure she's wearing a wig. So, if we have to look away from Abu church building or statue, what about a woman wearing a wig? Shouldn't we turn our face away from her? Also, we're not looking at her necessarily, but face the opposite direction when she's coming to. Okay. So, in general, like you said, if a woman is not your wife, you're not allowed to stare at anyone. Um, you're not allowed to stare at any woman, even more so. Um, so, if she's not your wife, then there's no reason for you to stare at her. Anyway, you're not allowed. Now, if it's for common day-to-day things, for example, if she's your boss or your assistant or your colleague and you need to talk to her, then if you give her your back, then it's disrespectful, then it's a mevazer of the person, it's, it's an embarrassment to the person, then you have an issue of you're embarrassing a person in public. So you have to be able to look to them, to look at them, and uh, not necessarily a uh, looking at them because they're wearing a wig. You're looking at them because you're talking to them. But even then, 
you should limit the amount of eye contact you have, limit the amount of facial you know, uh, connection that you have, uh, which is difficult in the business world, but still it's possible. So you should limit it, limit it as much as you possibly can. Um, this is why many people that have Yerat Shamaim and are really serious about uh, watching their eyes usually stay away from you know, big parties uh, where there's uh, you know, the uh, men and women there. And so even, even if there's no dancing, which at that place you're not even allowed to go, even if you want to, just even dinners, they just usually don't go simply because they want to avoid even this type of uh, relationships. Uh, and Rav Vadya actually specifically uh, said he should be worried if there's a rabbi that specifically focuses on just teaching women all the time. Giving a shiur to just women here and there is fine. But if that's his focus, you should be worried about him. Why? Why is he only teaching women? They're not even obligated to learn Torah. Why is he only teaching women? Something wrong with that. You should be worried about it. So as far as, as, far as uh, in the, the, the looking and so on, obviously you have to worry about it and you have to make sure that you take that into account. But at, at the same token, you have to also take into account that this is a Jewish neshama. So you, have, you can't just embarrass it. Uh, so it's not like a shatnez, uh, where if somebody wears shatnez, actually, you're, and you know for sure they're wearing shatnez, you're allowed to take the uh, clothes off of his back. Uh, the wig, you're not 100%, there's always going to be somewhat of a safek. We know it's a very small safek, but nonetheless, it's always a safek, whether it's idol worship or not. And even if it is idol worship, the person itself is not doing it because of idol worship. Uh, they're not putting the the the, uh, the wig on because of idol worship. They're putting the wig on because of desire. Um, so it's it's again changes things. So you don't necessarily need to look away and embarrass them. Uh, but in general, if you're not really looking at them, you're not really enjoying the wig anyway, and you shouldn't be enjoying the wig anyway. Uh, overall, the ideal situation for a person is to try to. Um, not be in a situation where he has to stare at, you know, be in, in front of the opposite gender for an extended period of time, uh, limited as much as possible, uh, because you have a yetzerah. Even if somebody is righteous, and even if somebody learns Torah all day, and even if they work on the Yerat Shemaim, the yetzerah is smarter than us, he's bigger than us, he's stronger than us, and he even came to Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Amir Balanes with uh, fake women, you know, meaning that uh, he dressed up as a woman, the yetzerah pretended to be a woman, that was the most beautiful woman in the world, and they almost failed. Meaning that no one, even Rabbi Akiva, was a, uh, at a level or that was possible for them to not have the Yetzirah for women, Yetzirah for sex, sexual desires. Which means that we have to protect ourselves as much as we possibly can by limiting our exposure to it. Our exposure to it as much as possible. Uh, but at the same token, you know, the uh, just embarrassing people in public is also not allowed. You know, so this is, reminds me of some guy that uh, thought it was a mitzvah because in Israel, they're much more machmirim, they're much more uh, stringent on smartphones. Smartphones cause a lot of problems, especially in the religious world. And in certain places in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Bnei Brak, and so on, if they see you in a smartphone... Uh, they, they have a hit there. They have a, uh, a leniency to take your smartphone and break it because they believe it's avodazah. They believe it's a uh, it's, some, it's you're making a sin and so on and so forth. 
Um, now, this is not really an actual halacha, but some people believe it is. Some people believe that if you have a smartphone, you have no alam. But it's all types of craziness. Again, it's not a good idea to have a smartphone if you don't need it for a real reason. But the point is, is that um, some people take things too far. So, for example, uh, there's one guy that came to Rabbi uh, Fein, and uh, or in the call of Rabbi Feynman, he told a uh, he told him, listen. Uh, he started like yelling, embarrassing him in public. Oh, you have no lamba, you lasha, you this, you da, ari, you know, all, all types of, uh, no, no compliments. No compliments. Compliments will delete it. For what? Because he had a smartphone next to him. There was a smartphone next to him. And if I looked at him, he says, you know, even if everything you said is true, even if everything you said is true, that uh, let's say, you believe that I was going to use a smartphone to go look at Shem uh, I was going to look at the worst things on the internet on the smartphone. That's one sin. I would have made, you're yelling at me, for maybe, possibly, I was going to make one sin. To go look at something inappropriate. But you just embarrassing me for five minutes straight, there's no lava. You can't make a mitzvah, you can't make a, even if what you were doing is a mitzvah, you can't do it this way. So some people go to the extent of taking the phone out of a person's hand and, and smashing it on the floor. So you can't make mitzvot that way. You have to have a little sechel, you have to have a little yad shamayim. Uh, but that's also why it's important to make sure that you make yourself a real rabbi, not some crazy person. You know, but again, you know, people mean well, people mean well, but sometimes they take things too far. Next. Okay. Questions? Oh. Why did Hashem create the idea of the 12 tribes? Isn't it against the idea of one united nation? Isn't it going to cause fights? No, not necessarily. 